Welcome back, bookworms. Thank you for joining me on this fantastic adventure. I am Frances Everly, author and all-around book lover, and I am the Bookworm Unleashed. Today we're discussing the final book in the Shadow and Bone trilogy by Lee Bardugo, Ruin and Rising. So buckle up while we settle in for the last adventure in the Grishaverse. So continuing where we left off last time, we find that Mal and Alina and their Grecian friends, the last of the Grisha from the Little Palace, have fled from the Darkling and his dark shadow demon creatures into the depths of the earth, into the tunnels beneath Ravka, occupied by the former royal advisor and apparat, the priest, who has sanctified our dear Sun Summoner. And in so doing, has created her martyrdom before her death, and also has created an army in her name. Her entire army lives underground in these tunnels that all seem to culminate in one giant cavern uh, that is called the White Cathedral. Nobody knows really why it's white, just maybe something to do with maybe the rocks and the walls. It's strange that it's something so big and clearly man-made, because this place has a kitchen, it has rooms, it has a library in it that's bizarre and clearly not created naturally. So who built this? Why did they build it? How long has it been there? And why does no one else seem to know about it? It's awfully convenient for the apparat to be the only one to know of this place. But it provides a sanctuary for Alina and her friends to recover from the battle with the Darkling, from the loss of the little palace, from the loss, essentially, of Ravka. Because the Darkling now sits in a position where he can be, he has declared himself as the king, the Dark King of Ravka, the Shadow King. He doesn't call himself that in the book, but that's the title I'm giving him, the Shadow King. Because what else could he be? If he declares himself a king or a dictator, he is still in command of shadows, of darkness. So it seems fitting that he should be known as the Shadow King, don't you think? Anyway, Mal and Alina and all of their friends are recovering underground with the apparat and his followers. And while they are in recovery, Alina slowly and carefully separated from her friends. Now she is no longer just a recovering saint. It's quite obvious that she's a prisoner. She has armed guards. She can only go to certain places under guard at all times. She cannot have any communication with her friends, especially Mao. The only communication she has is with David, the fabricator that melded the antlers into her collarbones in the first book, and Jenya, the 
tailor that betrayed her in the first book and then stood in the Darkling's way to allow her to escape his clutches in the second book. She sees David in the libraries where he is poring over the Bonesmith's old journals, trying to find some sense of what all of these um, amplifiers that he created will do and where they could possibly find the final amplifier, the Firebird. And in the kitchens, where it is warm and where she desperately hopes to get some glimpse, some small glimpse of the sun through the flues in the chimneys, is where she meets with Jenya. Jenya, who is working to try and heal her wounds, to give her back her appearance, to try and return her hair from the now white color to her original black color. I'm assuming it was black anyway. It is in the Netflix series. (laughs) I really hope that, speaking of Netflix, I really hope that they do continue this show for a third season because this book absolutely deserves it. It answers all your questions. All of my questions were answered. Well, as far as they could be anyway, when considering that they don't know who their parents are. They just assume that they died. But we get answers as to how they probably died. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, of course, because this isn't revealed until later in the book. Probably about midway, just over midway in the book. Um, But given that I went on a huge tirade tirade about this plot hole in my first podcast, I just wanted to bring it to your attention that uh, we find out that Ravka was in a war with the Shu Han, and the Shu Han attacked the mountain villages where Alina and Mal are from, and burned several villages to the ground. And so we're left to assume that Mal and Alina are refugees as a result of this battle. Um, They're orphaned as a result of the Shu Han destroying their villages. Thank you, Lee Bardugo, for filling this hole for me, because it was driving me bonkers. I still want to know more about their parents, but at least we have this small clue into their history. Anyway, back to the book. So Alina's underground. She's separated from all of her friends, and she's desperate to get to the sun. The sun is the source of her powers. With no natural light around, she's finding that she is too weak to manipulate the artificial light that's around her. All she can do is manipulate some remnants of shadows, a remnant of the Darkling's powers that she apparently remained with her um, after her battle with the Darkling. She uses this to manipulate the apparatus into doing small things that she wants, like letting her go to the kitchens to see Jenya and to stay warm because she is weak and frail. 
That's right. Without the source of her light, she is not as strong as she once was. She's also still recovering from her battle with the Dark Link. That took a lot of power from her. Now, as a result of her being separate from her friends, her friends managed to come up with a little plan, a little scheme to help her break free of the apparatus hold and to help her regain some of her powers. It's an elaborate plan that could go very, very wrong, but happens to go exactly right. During one afternoon with her dear friend Jenya in the kitchens, trying to, in quotations, stay warm and hoping that that flu will open just a little bit, Alina's dear friends, the other Grishas, and Mal are all captured. Apparently, they're conspiring against their dear son, Summoner, and the apparat is not having any of it. So he brings them to the kitchens and outs their plan to dear Alina. They were making explosives. Somehow, dear David was able to come up with the ingredients to make a small amount of explosive. Unfortunately, the apparat now has this little bit of explosive powder that they have gained. And that is that. Their plan is over. Or is it? One look from Mal... And Alina understands that this was a plot to try and free her. She manages to distract the apparat and his followers, his priest warriors. I don't know what else to call them. Um, her guards. With a little bit of manipulation of the shadows. They are all terrified that the Darkling has found them. And in the meanwhile, someone manages to grab the uh, pouch of explosive powder from the apparat and throw it into the main chimney flute. And with an impossible shot that no one should have been able to get, absolutely no one, like this is, I don't know, target practice at its finest. Mal manages to grab a gun and shoot that explosive powder and make the flu open. Now, the Grisha that are able to control things like the wind manage to keep most of the debris off of all of them so nobody actually gets hurt with all the debris falling from the ceiling. But Alina gets a rush of power. I'm feeling Superman vibes here. Look, I mean, come on. He is the only other being I've ever heard of. And I could be wrong. 
I haven't read many comic books, um, but he is the only one that I've heard of that gets his power from the sun. He is weak, he is drained, he gets his, he goes into the sun, he heals, he regains his strength and his powers. Just like dear Alina, with the return of her power ends the, her subjugation by the apparat and his followers. She is free now. She uses her powers to break free of their chains and break free from the underground. Um, Mal and her Grecian friends all leave. They leave through these tunnels, never to see the white cathedral again. Thank God. I mean, ugh, the thought of living underground or being underground for months and months with thousands, presumably, of people who worship the ground you walk on is just its horrifying to me. <laughs> Maybe not to everybody, but ugh, being underground is just ugh, gives me the shudders. Nobody knows where they're going through these tunnels, though. And yet again, Mal, the simple tracker who is not so simple, manages to lead them through the tunnels and out the other side. They end up in a small cemetery. Isn't that strange how this ordinary tracker seems to manage to find all of these mythical creatures, all of these amplifiers? He always seems to be able to find Alina, no matter where she is, and he is able to lead them out of the tunnels. Alina asked him how he did it, without a map, without having been in those tunnels before, and he tells her, that he just listened for the animals above them. That is some hearing. But apparently he can sense them. He can sense the bugs, even. The running deer overhead. All of it. It's incredible. I would love to have that hearing. <laughs> anyway... They find themselves in a small cemetery. They wander into the woods and set up camp. They are above ground for the first time in months, breathing in fresh air, alone in the quiet. My idea of bliss. <laughs> but they're not alone for long. One of her friends goes into a nearby village, a village that is known to be a, a site where um, our dear pirate king uses for smuggling. With the hopes of possibly finding him or connecting with one of his other followers... She goes into the town, she spends the day there, she gathers intel, and she gathers food and supplies, and she returns to their small camp. Alina and Mal are by the river talking, 
darkness has fallen, there is no sign of the pirate king or his followers. When suddenly they are set upon by a band of vagabonds. Lee Bardugo calls them militia, but honestly, I didn't find any kind of um, structure to their group. They're vagabonds with weapons. Doing the Darkling's bidding. They feel they've got the Sun Summoner and the Tracker. The very people the Darkling has set up bounty on. They're going to collect that bounty. They're going to be rich. <laughs> or not. They are attacked in spectacular pirate fashion. <laughs> by none other than our pirate king, Sturmhond, Prince Lansov, Nikolai, whatever you would like to call him. He has saved the day again. And he brings them, Alina and Mal and their friends, way up high into the mountains to what he calls the spinning wheel. The spinning wheel is, how do I describe it? Um, a settlement high in the mountains, in a hollowed out mountaintop. The walls are glass and heated by steam. There's even an elevator in this place. We see Alina re reunited with the Darkling's mother. And her instructor, Bagra, who lost her sight in the last book due to her defiance of her son. We learn that Bagra is also the daughter of none other than Morzova, the bonesmith. She was born the first of and only of her kind, the only darkling. She had a sister who was normal and a mother who was normal. Her mother resented her and doted on her sister. She was feared and she was lonely and she lashed out one day on her sister and accidentally cut her sister, killed her. She was not aware of her own powers. Nobody gave her any kind of instruction on how to control them. She was a child. And she was villainized by the villagers and by her mother. Her father managed to put her sister back together again and bring her back to life. But as a result of that, the villagers deemed him unholy, I suppose you could call it. And they tried him. They executed him and his resurrected daughter, that by binding them in chains of iron and throwing them into the river. Now, during this storytelling time between Bagra and Alina, dear Mal enters the room. Bagra hears his voice for the very first time, 
And here's another clue that Mal is not an ordinary tracker. She instantly reacts to his voice, demanding to know who he is and where he came from. Alina doesn't have much time and believes all of this um, answer searching is pointless. So she gives Bagra vague answers about him being an orphan and a tracker and being normal and leaves because there is another situation that needs her attention. Fast-forwarding her time and resumed lessons with Bagra in the spinning wheel, Alina and her friends, the pirate prince, they are all attacked. While she is believing that the Darkling is about to set an attack on West Ravka and making plans to try and save the people of West Ravka and to make alliances outside of the spinning wheel. They are attacked by the Darkling. He has found them. How has he found them? One of the Grisha who came with Alina abandoned her and told the Darkling where they were. Of course he did. This man was hiding. He was terrified. He was powerless. And nobody thought much about his decline in his mental health. Nobody saw it coming. But this man abandoned them. He outed them. He reported them to the Darkling. The Darkling attacked them. He turned the pirate prince into some evil, dark-winged creature, some hybrid Volcra-human creature with wings and talons and, and a hunger for blood, for human blood. He also destroys the spinning wheel. And everybody that was in it that did not get out in time. And sadly, to end his destruction, Bagra sacrifices herself as his only equal in power over shadow. Bagra commands his strange Volcra-like creatures and takes them to her grave with her by jumping off the mountain. How long was that fall? Did she see her life flash before her eyes? Did she have time for that? I mean, this woman is presumably hundreds, if not thousands of years old. That's a lot of time. A lot. The Darkling also chases after his mother. But he is unsuccessful. But with his distraction and the temporary destruction of his Volcra-like creatures, people manage to escape on some of our pirate prince's airships. 
Alina and her Grecian friends escape on one, but they don't have anybody to disguise their ship with mist as the other ship is disguised. So, they come up with another plan. Alina, being the sun summoner and having control over light, decides to try a little magic trick with her powers and bend the light around the bottom of the ship. And in so doing, has made the ship invisible to everybody beneath them. They manage to get to the copper mines north, I'm assuming north, (laughs) of Ravka, where they believe the Firebird may be. They land in the copper mines, and that is when they separate into two groups. One group to stay near the ship and protect the ship, and the other group to go off in search of the Firebird. With Mal in the lead, of course. They go through all the mountains. They're tracking for days and days and days. I don't know how much time has passed during this trek, but it sounded quite the trek. They're climbing up mountains and sneaking down this path and that path, and nobody has any idea where they're going. They have a map, but what's the point of a map when they don't know the exact location of the Firebird? But they end up in the Firefalls. The reason it's called the Firefalls is because at sunset when the sun hits the falls it turns it into an orangey color and makes it look like fire that just sounds so beautiful just a river of fire pouring down the mountain of course that could also be considered lava maybe it's a volcano anyway They decide to set up camp nearby. Amal and Alina are talking when they are disrupted by a flap of wings. And then another flap of wings. And then talons. Next thing you know, Mal is falling off the cliff above the firefalls. No, sorry, it's Alina falling off the cliff above the firefalls. And Mal is holding on to her for dear life as they are being attacked by the Firebird. And that is when the discovery is made. The answer to all our questions about Mal and his tracking abilities, his not-so-normal, normal tracking skills. Alina discovers that Mal is the third amplifier, not the firebird, after all, as everyone had presumed. Now, how is this possible? How is it possible that Mal is the third amplifier? Well, it goes back to Bagra's story about her father and her normal sister 
Now, for hundreds of years, Bagra assumed that her sister had died. Her father likely survived, but she was never able to find him or find any trace of him. But she assumed that her sister, who was normal and newly repaired from being cut in half and newly brought back to life, died in that river covered in chains. But it turns out she didn't die. Mordzova managed to keep himself and her sister alive, dragged them both out of the river. They survived. I don't know how their life went, but obviously she went on to have children. And her children had children. And so on and so forth. Culminating in Mal Oretsev, Alina's best friend. The love of her life. The not-so-normal tracker. He's not normal after all. Thank you for explaining how his powers come to be, how he always manages to find everything that no one else even believes exists. (laughs) It's absolutely incredible, but tragic as well. Because this means that in order for Alina to harvest his power and unite the three amplifiers in her battle against the Darkling and to bring his tyranny to an end and to end the fold once and for all, Mel would have to die. Uh, My inner self was screaming, no, don't let Mal die. Absolutely not. We are supposed to be having this incredible love story. They're supposed to be able to overcome all the obstacles between them. (laughs) All these incredible, daunting obstacles. But now they must be separated in death. Alina, in order to harvest his powers, must wear his bones. It's a true tragedy. One that they put off for as long as they possibly can. They return to the ship. They take the ship through the fold to West Ravka and find it abandoned. They make multiple trips through the fold to bring back some of her son soldiers. To make plans to defeat the Darkling in one final battle within the fold itself. And also to rescue the Grecian orphans that she had sent to her orphanage for refuge. Because while she was away, in his hurt and his grief over the loss of his mother, the Darkling went and marched on Karamzin. He hung the teachers. He hung Anakuya, the only mother that Alina remembers. 
the woman who ran the orphanage and who welcomed the Grecian children into her home for protection. Now, I can see why Alina would have taken them to Karamzin under the belief that they would be safe there, because she felt safe there. But it was a little obvious to anybody who knew anything about her and about her childhood that that is the most likely place she would send children. She believed that he would leave them be. But he did not. Of course he wouldn't. He's the Darkling. Why the hell would he? She took his mother from him, so he's going to take the only mother she's ever known from her. It uh, makes a dark sort of sense. A tragic sense. One that spurs Alina into action. She gathers her sun soldiers. She makes a plan to enter the fold to rescue her students, the Grecian children, believing that the Darkling will have them on a ship to take them through the fold, to sacrifice them, as he is said, to his Volcra. He is betting on her goodness, on her good nature, on her warm, giant heart that she would not let this happen. And he's right. Alina and her ragtag band of unlikely allies contrive a plan to make her army, as small as it is, invisible by bending the light around them, the way that she did with the ship. And for the most part, she is successful. But she is still tragically upset about the loss of Mal. He forces her, in the battle against the Darkling, to kill him. To take a knife and stab it right through his heart. And she holds him while he dies. And then, moments later, she is confronted by the Darkling himself. Who doesn't understand why she made this sacrifice? Until all of a sudden, every single soldier within the fold fighting this battle, light and dark, all start radiating light. Her powers are no longer her own. Her amplifiers have fallen from her body. Mal is dead. But the light lives on. Somehow his powers have amplified hers to the point where it has extended them to all the soldiers, all the potential soldiers within and in the immediate vicinity of the fold. Everyone takes part in the destruction of the fold, in bringing down the Darkling, of ending his tyranny once and for all, and ending the dreaded Volcra. It's a thing of beauty, but what makes this even more beautiful 
is that somehow Mal is not dead. Alina comes to the conclusion that at, because he was an amplifier, he did not possess one life like a normal person, but two, his life and that of the amplifier's life. And because of that, ordinary Mal is ordinary. Once again, he is living, he is breathing, and he is loving his Alina. And it's a beautiful ending to this book. The Pirate King is no longer a Volcra hybrid of the Darklings. He's back to being almost himself. He still has some remnants of the darkness within him. But for the most part, he is his normal, charming, sad self. Because he also realizes that with the end of the Darkling, with the end of the Fold, with the end of Alina's powers, he no longer has his queen that he thought he had. Not that she ever actually said yes to his proposal. But it was hinted at that she was going to marry him. That she was going to be queen. It was firmly believed that St. Alina would be the Sun Queen. Not only has Alina decided to not accept his proposal, she has decided to be with the man that she loves, to love him for the rest of her life, to marry him, and set up a new orphanage in Karamzin, where her and Mal live happily ever after. And the pirate king keeps searching for his queen. And the people of Ravka mourn the loss of their sun queen. Because they have faked her death. But the people of Ravka believe her death to be true. The sun queen, the sun summoner, is no more. The tracker with the incredible ability to track any and every creature is no longer an extraordinary tracker. The Darkling is mourned by none but the Sun Summoner because in some dark part of her heart, she felt for him and she cared for him because she is a wholly good person who truly, I believe, loved him at one point. And that, my friends, is the end of Shadow and Bone Trilogy. That is Ruin and Rising. Because the Darkling is ruined and the Sun Summoner rose. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we explore the Shadow and Bone trilogy. Next week, we will be discussing Engaging Opal by MJ Marino. Getting a little bit of a Roman man's palate cleanse and trying something different this time. I'm looking forward to it. And in the meantime, I'm happily waiting for my February book box. Book Box Canada 
for February is offering three books, the entire Shadow Realm series by Canadian author Bryn Weaver, along with exclusive covers, signed book plates, a journal, and many other goodies. I can't wait to unbox that with you. And if you want to know more or find out how you can get a discount, head over to my Instagram at thebookwormunleashed. Now, thank you for joining me, and I look forward to sharing the next book next week, right here on The Bookworm Unleashed. Let's deal with the